standing out of reverence for God's word as we read from Mark chapter 3 beginning in verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew from the crowds with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all about what he was doing, many, became, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Adamea, and the regions across the Jordan, from Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that, there were, that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, Out, you are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Bojonas, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You may be seated. In these verses, we see two things happening in Jesus' life, and we see a lot of pressure coming Jesus' way. You've got the ruling class that is out to kill him. He, he's made both the liberals, the Herodians, and the arch-conservatives, the Pharisees, mad enough that they want to kill him. On the other hand, his popularity is at a peak. If you'll read from some of these cities that they're coming to listen to Jesus, some of them were Jewish cities, some were Gentile, some were mixed. Tyre and Sidon were... Um, a hundred miles away from where Jesus was. So the crowds are incredible and they're pressing in on him. The, the word there for pressing in literally in the Greek means that they are trampling over him. My, my friends, Jesus finds himself in between a very dangerous place and that there's some folks trying to kill him and the folks who like him are pressing so far, hard against him, they're about to trample him. So, so Jesus has got to know at this point that his life is not going to last. Because guess what? The more the crowd loves him, the more the ruling class hates him. The more they follow him, the more they want to destroy him. And so what will Jesus do? Well, here's what I want you to see this morning. Here's what he does. Number one, he picks ordinary people to carry out his mission. It's now Jesus times twelve. He is multiplying his effect. Jesus knows the following of the crowds is going to be fickle. And so Jesus knows he must pick disciples to carry out his mission. Now, they're just ordinary guys. I mean, the estimates are from four to seven of them were fishermen. They're not the high class people of their day. They're not the religious leaders. They're just ordinary people like you and I. Some of them are rather surprising that they end up in the same group. I mean, you got Matthew, who's a tax collector. You got a guy listed we don't know a whole lot about named Simon the Zealot. 
To be a zealot was to be a part of a revolutionary political party. I mean, you know, you got Matthew over here that's um, going along with the Romans. You got the zealot over here who's killing Roman soldiers. And not only takes an oath to kill Roman soldiers, but guess what? Takes an oath to kill tax collectors. So can you imagine their first celebration and connection night? All right. You know, and they're meeting each other. They go to two different services and they meet each other that night. And Simon says, well, you know, my name's Simon. Matthew says, well, what do you do, Simon? He says, well, I'm a zealot. And Simon says to Matthew, well, well, what do you do? <laughs> Matthew says, wrong church, right? I'm going somewhere else. It's an amazing scene. These diverse group of people, just ordinary people, people with problems that Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to last very long, so I'm going to pour myself into the lives of these men. One writer says, it's the greatest gamble in all of history. Because here's who Jesus will leave his mission with. Well, he knows that. And so the second thing he does is he begins to mold them by naming and renaming. And that's our theme today. Jesus names names. He begins to name them and rename them. I mean, you can see the first three, Jesus sort of changes their name. Simon, he calls Peter, which means rock. James and John, he names thunder because of their hot-headedness. You know, to Peter, he gives a name to remind him of who he can be. To James and John, he gives them a name to remind them of who they don't want to be. And then if you go down the list, there's even sort of some warm names down the list. There's a guy listed here by Mark called Thaddeus. Other gospels list him as Judas. You don't want to use that name very long in the apostles, all right? And you, you know what Thaddeus meant? Thaddeus meant mama's boy, all right? And so Jesus has got all these names and nicknames in his relationship with these guys, and there's a great power in that. And here's what I want you to understand today. In Jesus, we receive a new name. And we're going to talk about the importance of that. And then today we're going to talk about how you get your name. So by the time you leave here today, I hope you'll be equipped to go out and make sure you understand the name that God is wanting to call you. Now there's two key words in the passage we're studying. The first word is the word designated. It says he designated them to be apostles. That literally means name. It comes from the Greek word nomen where we get the name name. They are designated as apostles. But what's the word apostles meant? Sent ones. They know why God has called them to be his personal ambassadors and representatives. But then even a more fascinating word that the English language just cannot get a handle on is the word appointed, which literally means to create. It's an Old Testament word that talks about creating a new reality. So he, he names them, but by naming them, he is recreating them. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. When God creates everything on this earth, uh, the Bible doesn't say God formed them into existence. God snapped them into existence. It simply says that God named them into existence. He didn't think them into existence. He just named it. He says, let there be light. And there was light. God has an incredible power in naming. And so when we come to this passage and Jesus begins to name, he also is beginning to create. 
He knows these men must carry on his mission and he's got to remold them. Now listen here. He did not call them because they were qualified. He qualified them after he called them. You know, if you're waiting to be personally qualified to follow Jesus, to live for Jesus, to impact people for Jesus, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. But if you understand that God this morning could name you, could create you so that you can do that, it's a totally different thing. Guys, listen to me. Names in ancient cultures were extremely important because they conveyed the essence of who you are. Remember that Old Testament name, Jacob? You know what it meant? It meant heel grabber. Because he grabbed his twin brother's heel coming out of the womb. And it it, it really was a great description of who he was. He's even the man that wrestles with God. And so in ancient days, names were really important. Now, we got to say, actually, they're pretty important now. How many millions of dollars do we spend in our culture today to name a company or a product correctly? You know its success or failure may not be how good a product it is or how well organized the company may be. You got to get the right name. And then even with people. We see many famous people who would probably not have been famous if they had not changed their name. Let me give you some examples. Demetria Gymus. You know who she becomes? Demi Moore. Gordon Matthew Summer. He, he really makes his name. His name becomes Sting. Martha Coistra. What a name. Martha Coistra becomes Martha Stewart. Hiram Bell becomes Buddy Bell. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of famous people, you know what I'm saying? you got to change your name. My favorite one is this one. Listen to this name. Marion Michael Morrison. Anybody know who he becomes? John Wayne. Who wants a cowboy named Marion? Well, we might today. But you wouldn't have wanted it 50 years ago. Guys, names are powerful. Now, if we can change names and that creates power, can you imagine what happens when God changes your name? Would the one who created the whole universe by simply naming it, when he comes in your life and he names you, you got something special. You say, well, buddy, we're just talking about the apostles today. Of course, they were named. Listen, Jesus names everybody. God names everyone. Everybody is given a special name by God. Let me give you a few passages. John chapter 10, verse 3, speaking of Jesus. He calls his own sheep by name. What's it mean? He's got a specific individual name for you. Revelation 2.17, talking to that church at Pergamum. He says, you know, if you're faithful, I will also give that person a white stone with a name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. He's got a special name to you written on a white stone. What was a white stone? It was like an admission ticket. And God's giving you this admission ticket into the kingdom of God with your name written on it. And what does he do through this? Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. That's a great passage. And I love that word there, masterpiece. 
Literally, it means God creates us as a piece of poetry. It's a poem. It's a work of art. So when God names you, it's something that makes you beautiful, valuable. It's an expression of the artist's vision of who you should be. So when we come to this idea of names, we come to something extremely powerful and important. Because your name becomes your identity, okay? And that's why we need a new name. Because so often, we need a new identity. Here's the good news this morning. The greatest artist, and boy, I hadn't enjoyed the weather the last few days. It's incredibly gorgeous this time of year. The greatest artist in the history of history says, I want to name you. I want to create you as a piece of art that's valuable because I made you. So he he wants to give us an identity. Here's our problem. Our problem is we receive our identity from other things. Sometimes we receive our identity in a negative way. Maybe what has identified you, which named you, has been your greatest failure. Maybe it was, you know, that adultery years ago. Maybe it was that night of drunkenness where you did something you shouldn't have done. Maybe it was divorcing your spouse when you should have stuck with it. But somehow, something negative has identified you. And and because of that, it it becomes your identity. And, And the longer you live and grow, you never shake it. It's dangerous. Sometimes we're named by other things, even good things. We're named by our our family. You know, many cultures, you know, when you see cultures with names like Jacobson and Williamson, those are cultures where family names were everything. Some of us are named by our jobs. It's our jobs that give us our identity. The first question we ask most men are, what do you do? Because so many men, we receive our identity from what we do. Maybe you've received your identity from your looks. Maybe you've received your identity from your wealth. Maybe you've received your identity from your athletic ability. The problem with all of those things is that all of those things can be temporary. You may lose your looks. Sadly, you might lose your family. I mean, you know, how many athletes, great athletes, have you seen struggle in life after their athletic career? Maybe to end it in college, or maybe to end it even in pro. But afterwards, they really had a hard time because their life all pointed back to that home run or that touchdown or, or what, and, and their identity was wrapped up in that. And, and, and you lose it. And sometimes some of us have, have lost things like that and, and we, we have a hard time finding ourselves because it's our identity. Fascinating story in Luke chapter 16. Have you ever wondered about Luke chapter 16 and the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Why does Lazarus have a name and the rich man is just called the rich man? Because the rich man has lost his riches and he's in hell. And he's lost his identity. He's lost his name. Because if any of those things become our identity, the problem is that you can lose it. Anybody ever had a job that you were so wrapped up in that it became your identity? I mean, I, 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 one of my favorite jobs I ever had was when I was campus minister at the University of Alabama. I promise you it took me two years to find myself afterwards. 
That's, that's sad. That's crazy. But that became my identity. That's, that's who I felt like I was. Loved it too much. Because many of us, we love our jobs too much, or we love our things too much, or our accomplishments too much. And we hold on to them, and when we lose those things, or we move on from those things, then we spend years sometimes searching for an identity. And Jesus comes in today and He says, i got something better for you. Let me give you a permanent name. Let me give you a new identity that it doesn't matter if things go well tomorrow and your business is successful or things crash tomorrow and your business closes. It's not going to matter because you're going to have a name that's permanent. I mean, that, that's what's so awesome when we watch this passage. I mean, we see him name Peter or Simon Rock. That's an amazing transformation we watch through the Gospels. Is Simon becomes a rock. Listen. Peter was not just a second name to be used. Sometimes we say Simon Peter. Jesus never said Simon Peter. In fact, he never uses the word Simon again until the one time when Peter's acting like Simon again. Because he wanted him to have a new identity. And listen to me. If the world has told you that you're ugly, Jesus is going to name you beautiful. And he will. And he cannot be wrong. His naming imparts the beauty. If you have felt yourself to be weak, Jesus is going to name you strong. He will. And it's true because it's from God. And His name imparts your identity. If Satan has given you the name of a sinner, Jesus is going to call you a saint. He will. And the name becomes your identity. It is who you are. Because he has the divine power to call things that don't exist into being. You understand the power there? From the very beginning. And so in your life, he wants to give you a name. You say, okay, buddy, I need that identity. My life has found identity in other things. And it has become who I am. And I went through the divorce and now I've lost myself. Or I went through the the, the job change because of the economy, and I'm in this new job, but I'm miserable. I don't feel like myself anymore. Or my children all grew up and they left home, and the home is empty, and that was my identity. Or I'm retired, and I no longer have my job, and I thought it would be awesome, but I'm struggling because that's my identity. Here's the good news. Jesus wants to give you an identity that's eternal. Eternal. How do you receive your name? Let's let's close out talking about that. How do you receive this name? Now let me say this. It doesn't happen overnight. Okay? I'd like to get in some corner somewhere all by myself and God. And all of a sudden God has imparted this name that, that just becomes who I am. We know even with Peter, though he's given the name Peter Rock back in John chapter 1. He is as far from a rock as anybody we've ever seen. Though he's given the name, it takes a while for the name to become true. Not until Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon, gospel sermon, do we really go, my goodness, that guy has become the rock that Jesus knew he could be. So I understand what I'm saying here this morning. you got to get this, is that this is a process. It's going to take some time. But if you'll do the things that Jesus asked these 12 guys to do, I'm telling you, you will slowly but surely receive a new identity in Jesus Christ. 
Three things. Let me go ahead and give those to you, then we'll talk about them. Number one was ministry. He sent them out to preach and to cast out demons. Number two was community. He put them in a group called the Twelve. That's very significant. Number three is intimacy. He called them to be with him, okay? So, so you got that three. We'll, just, we'll leave it up there for a while. Now, now let's talk about each one of them. How do you receive your name through ministry? They're given this ministry, the same ministry of Jesus, to go out and liberate people that are in prison. They're told to go and do what Jesus did. Probably the most paradoxical and yet powerful statement in this that Jesus ever makes is that if you lose your life, you'll find your life. If you lose yourself, you will lose yourself to find self. Now, here, here's what you got to see. You're never going to receive this directly. You're going to receive it indirectly. You see, the world would say, if you're having a hard time with your identity, what you need to do is get off by yourself. The answer to everything today is, you need to spend a little more time with yourself. You need a little more time. No, no, no. Jesus says, that's not the way you receive your identity. If you're waiting around to really be bold for God until in some dark moment, some quiet, silent place, God reveals that, you may be waiting a long time. Jesus says, here's what I want you guys to do. I know you're not perfect. I know you have it all together. But I'm going to go ahead and commission you. I'm going to send you out to serve and to give your life to people. And that's where you're going to find your identity. Listen, instead of trying to find yourself, help other people find themselves. Instead of trying to find out who you are, you start helping other people find out who they are. And the incredible thing is in the middle of it, you'll find out who you are. When you pour your life into someone else, that's when you begin to receive life. Guys, that is so opposite of everything we're told today. But I'm telling you, it works. You go lose your life in serving other people. And helping them find out who they are. And the coolest thing will happen. You will discover who you are. Why? Because one thing that happens is you're going to find out the things that you are good at. You'll find out your areas of spiritual giftedness. Most of us don't know that. The best way to find it out is to go out there and teach a class. Go out there and lead a small group. Go out there and serve in the inner city. Go out there and love on your neighbor. Go out there and reach. In, in, in doing those things, you'll begin to find out, what are the things that really excite me? What are the things that when I get through with this, I'm more full of passion than drained? And you'll begin to find out who you are. And you'll also begin to see yourself as, as someone capable. The greatest high you'll receive in your life is when you've gone out and you have poured your life into somebody else. And God has used you. When, when, when at least for a few moments or hours or days, you forgot yourself and you find yourself. So number one, through ministry. Number two is through community. Very significant that Jesus tw- chose 12. Not just because that might just be the ultimate small group number, but the significance in this day would have been profound. Why? Because what did Israel have? 12 tribes. When Jesus says, I'm picking 12 men, what he's saying is, I'm starting a new nation. 
You talking about offending the Pharisees and those dudes? He's doing it again here. I'm picking 12. We're starting all over. It's going to be a new nation. It's going to be a new community. And it's in that community that you're going to find out who you are. You see, listen to me. Only in deep community will you find out who you are. Why? Because sometimes, or probably often, we don't have a real accurate reflection of who we are. Our image of ourselves is very different than other people's image of us. I I love when Terry Saban tells her husband, Nick Saban, the distance between who you think people think you are and who you other people think you are is about a mile wide, okay? She, she's the only person I think that can nail him. And she's right, because his perception may be blinded. All of us have perceptions that are a little bit blinded to who we are. We think we appear one way when really we're different. It's like, this is something I, I hate. I, I, I hate to listen to myself recorded. Anybody else hate that? Not to listen to me, listen to you yourself, okay? <laughs> Thank you, you've really encouraged me. Okay, but, um, because I, I don't, you know, Jeremy will make me watch one of the, you know, the DVDs for, for Birmingham or something. I just, I just hate it because that's not what I think I sound like. And none of us, none of us really know accurately how we sound. Why? Because you listen to your own voice, not just through your ears, but through the bone in your neck. And so <laughs> you always sound deeper and with more resonance than you really have. And so when I listen to myself, I think, who is that with that weak, raspy voice? That's, that's just not who I hear. Because that's the way it is in life. We are often blinded to what we're really like. And that's why often or all the time, we need to be in deep community where people can help us find out who we are. Sometimes they're going to have to point out negative things. Sometimes on our own, we're we're blinded to how selfish we are, how sinful we are, how jealous we are, how worried we are. I mean, it's just sort of been the way we live life. And we think it's just sort of normal. And you get in community and maybe you give someone a, a fishing license in your life. You know what I'm talking about? You say, you know what? I want to be the best I can be for Jesus. And so I'm giving you permission. If you see anything in me that's not like Jesus, I really want you to point that out to me. And so they're going to say, Ty, you know, buddy, what you did the other day was sort of rude. Or what you said there was selfish. And so you begin to see a clearer picture. Now, beyond that, I think community not only tells you the bad things about you, that's probably the least. In community, you also find out your strengths. And so it's in communities, in that small group where someone notices something about you that you didn't notice about yourself. I've always been told that the greatest, the best way to become a a great encourager is to notice a good quality in someone else that they do not notice about themselves and point it out. And so that's what starts happening in community. Maybe you explain the scripture in your life group and someone says, you know, have you ever thought about being a Bible class teacher? Or, Or maybe someone sees you, you know, playing with children and goes, you know, you've got a great way with children. Maybe you need to be a part of children's ministry. Or maybe you 
You affirm someone and someone says, you've got, maybe you don't recognize this because not many people have this, but you have the gift of encouragement. You need to use that. We've all had those people in our lives who have come along because we got close enough to them and noticed something about us and said, you know what, you need to go and use that. And so, folks, it's in community that we begin to find out who we are. Guys, there's a little bit of a fear there because you've got to sort of expose where you are right now. You've got to let somebody close enough in. But that's where you find your name out. That's what you find out. What are the things that, that don't become me? And what are the things that do uh, reflect Jesus? And then number three was intimacy. They were called to be with him. Listen, they weren't called to take a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 o'clock class with Jesus. They were called to walk with him, to live with him, to spend time with him. And it's in that time of intimacy where God begins to pour your name into you. Romans 5 verse 5 says, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. When we begin to experience God, when we begin to have intimate times with God, he begins to whisper our name. C.S. Lewis writes this, I love this. To be loved by God, not merely pitied by God, but loved by God, delighted in by God, It's like an artist rejoices over her work or a father rejoices over his son. It seems impossible that God would do that for us. But so it is. To be a Christian means to hear the applause of God, to have the fame of God, to receive the acceptance and welcome of God into the very heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will be opened at last. All our lives, we've been trying to find out who we are. We've been searching for that identity. And we run from one thing to the next, trying to find a strong identity. And what what he's saying here is when we begin to serve God, we begin to live in community, and we begin to have intimacy with God, we begin to receive an identity that's firm. That's not based on our circumstances. Because here's the problem. Let's be really honest about this. The problem is we feel like we're just too busy for this. I'm too busy to really volunteer and serve in a ministry. I'm really too busy, you know, to be a part of a small group in a community. And I'm certainly too busy to, to ch- put a chunk of time in my morning to spend with God. Because it's because of our busyness, we don't find our identity in God. It's interesting to me, because of our, 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 our superficial culture, we keep things on this level up here. Oh, we're okay with uh, text message and Facebook and Twitter and all these things, you know. I mean, why, why, why are we so much safer with that? Because it, it's so much less vulnerable. And then we spend all this time on that and we say we don't have time. You've got time to tell me what you ate for supper? You got time to tell me your kid's latest score? And you're not, you don't have time to spend with God? Listen, guys, we got to get deeper. We got to get deeper. Because it's in that where God begins to name us. It's a beautiful thing. So look at this little graph up here real quickly. Here's what I think we're talking about here. There's a process here. That process of service and community and spending intimate time with God. It's in that process that we begin to learn who we are. 
It's in that process we develop peace. I know who I am. We develop passion. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I may not need to do what you do. I know what God wants me to do. And it's in that process I receive power. I'm I'm not held hostage by all these identities out there. And here's the cool thing about that is as you go through that process and you find the peace and the passion, the power, we begin to carry on the purposes of God being fulfilled. It's just like Jesus picked these 12 and says, wow, watch what they'll do. He picks up at us and says, look what these guys can do. I mean, if you want to track one of the most encouraging parts of the New Testament, track the life of Simon Peter. Track the life of James and John, those hot-headed guys, and John becomes the apostle of love. Track the lives of that scoundrel Matthew, the tax collector, who becomes the writer of the gospel. Track their lives. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a process. But what we've got to be willing to do is to give ourselves to the process so that God can give those things to us and that God can name us. Because we're always tempted to go back to that, that name that's based on our family or our achievement or you name it. In fact, in Luke's version of our story, to show Luke chapter 10, verse 20. After Jesus sends them out, they come back and they cast out some demons and they preached and the disciples are high-fiving each other and Jesus high-fives them. But then Jesus says this, However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? Don't get too excited about what you just did. There might come a day where the demon doesn't come out. There might come a day when you do a bad sermon. And if your identity is wrapped up into that, you're in trouble. So don't don't get too excited about that. Don't get too high about what you did. That's not your identity. Your identity is that your name is written in heaven. So let me say this to you guys. When you get your identity in Jesus, tomorrow when things turn out well, don't get big-headed because that's not what really matters. What matters is your name is written in heaven. Tomorrow, if things turn out poorly in your life, don't get too down about that because that's really not what matters. What matters is that your names are written in heaven. you got a name and it sticks with you for eternity. So this morning, I don't know what you're going to face, but we all, we're going to face health problems, relationship issues, we're going to face job issues. Are you ready to get your identity from God? This morning, as we sing, if you need the prayers of this church, or or, or it's time for you to, to be reborn and given a new name.